Hello and welcome to The Life Pod, hosted by Michael Panay and Karim Dow, brought to you by MK Enterprises, a community based on discussing life topics and driving continual personal development and growth. Send through any topics you want covered and be sure to follow and tag us on all social media at MK Enterprises. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of The Life Pod, ladies and gentlemen. Today we have on Oscar Ledland, founder and CEO of Ledland Ledland Group, the Ledland Development, Ledland Build, all of it. So thank you very much for joining us today, bro. It means a lot. Karim, Michael, boys, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. No, of course. Again, thank you for coming on. It's been a long time coming. It has, absolutely. We've been You're flirting with it. We've yeah, a little bit. It. <laughs> a little yeah. bit. And then Google Calendar just doesn't want to cooperate, apparently. Absolutely. It, it said, you know, Google Calendar said our podcast was meant to be tonight at 11 p.m. Was that was that your mista- our mistake? Probably mine. <laughs> I've been, in my calendar, it's in for like 12 hours. I had, had a couple of my team were trying to book meetings with me for today. And they're like, what are you doing today? I'm like, what are you doing for I'm, 12 hours? I'm, I'm booked out. <laughs> he hacked it. That's why it says 11 hours left. He hacked it. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But um, I'm sure there's a lot of people on here that do know who you are. But for those who don't, please, Oscar. Who, who's Oscar. Mate, that is a very <laughs> open-ended question. Um, Might hit the 11 hour mark. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> um, I am just turned 30 years old. Wow. I live um, in the beautiful Bayside suburb of Brighton now with my lovely fiancé, recently yes. engaged. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and I run a... With your two dogs. With my two cavoodles, Franklin and Willow. Um, and I run a small property development company. We focus um, on commercial business parks. What are you giggling at over there? You said small. I really hope that was sarcasm. But that's the thing. I mean, in perspective of other, like you're probably, you've probably got developers out there where you like aspire to be to, and to them they're big. But like, for example, was that sarcasm? Like, would you no, 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 that was sarcasm. No. It's no. Like, that's no. what I love. Yeah. I was like, bro, for what? us, <laughs> for us, you're big. But then for you, you're small compared to what you aspire to be to. I guess at one stage, is that is that sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's less of a competitors thing. It's more of like, what are my aspirations? And, yeah. and where do I see myself? And and what do I want to achieve? And mm. for where I'm at right now, it's like just. Just getting warmed up, so yeah, small. I love that though. Yeah, so that's much done, story. so much accomplished so far, and it's like just getting warmed up. Proud but never satisfied, always. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. So, sorry, continue. I'll cut you off. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I lead a small team of uh, <laughs> incredibly talented and, you know, the best property professionals uh, in Melbourne. And uh, we deliver business parks tailored to meet the needs of a young entrepreneurial demographic. So, you know, guys and girls, very similar to, to us here. We deliver uh, office warehouses, office buildings, a product we call flexi units, food and beverage um, properties, and uh, we amalgamate them all together in a in a mixed use business park and and try and create a bit of a vibe. Very very interesting. Yeah. I've already got a lot of questions about you guys. Yeah. So, and then obviously the story itself is a is a big one. If if you're not already following. It, Oscar on Instagram, it's on his Instagram in his highlights called Chapter One. Um, but the sort of, correct me from a long story short is, you know, you're at uni and stuff and then you're working as well and boxing full time as well, doing some concreting with your dad and then something changed. You're like, I want to get into this market. I see. But what made you want to go, you know what? Property development. Like why that? Why didn't you just go building or why didn't you just stick with concrete? What made you go development? I think... Development was a progression where I saw that I could use all all elements of business and some of my construction knowledge because when I was towards the back end of my degree, I was a good fighter and I knew a relative amount of construction knowledge for somebody of that age and I had a huge passion for business. So I was like, where can I go? What industry where can I go into that will encompass business in its full entirety and my construction knowledge will give me somewhat of a head start and development seemed like the natural progression. That in itself, it's like, okay, we've just dived into that. Where did the love for business come from? It's like you were just working for your dad at uni and fighting. It's like, where did this fire about business come from? Was it like looking at your dad's business and going, oh, I feel like I could probably organize this better or run this better or like going to your fights and seeing how the events are organized. Like what was it that you like, this is what I could do better? I think it was much younger than that for me. And I'm not sure exactly where it came from. Like my dad's business, it was, you know, he, he did great. He provided for mm. um, my family, which was amazing. But he wasn't a businessman 
through and through at that point in my life anyway. He was a great concreter and he, he ran a you know a small team of concreters and stuff, but he wasn't a mover and shaker by any means at that point in his life. Later in his life, he, he's done some deals. But um, I think the, the interest in business was just something that I noticed early on. I had an interest in saving pocket money and, and generating more money and then learn about the concept of business and then you know, did the lemonade stand and, you know. Did you actually? Yeah, yeah, yeah of wow. course. Yeah, you know. Did. Actual lemonade stand. Holy shit. Yeah, lemonade and um, then selling. How are the margins? <laughs> uh, massive, yeah. <laughs> I think I got like half the money for the ingredients freaking rated from like the kitchen drawer at home and, um, you know, stuff like that. So it was pretty much pure profit. Are margin, we expecting uh, Little Lens lemonade coming this summer? Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, there's something in the works. There's so, always something oh, yeah, in the works. Yeah, we've, we've seen it. <laughs> so, so at the event, everybody just gets free lemonade. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so what Oscar was saying is like he said, he, he said that, you know, he took money from the drawer. So always borrow money to invest. That's that's what he was saying. Fully leveraged, 100%. <laughs> Leverage, yeah. no, no money down. Yeah, exactly right. No, so I think that was... My, my taste for business, I acquired it young and it just developed over time. You know, I, I, I'm not an avid reader. I definitely, I, you know, sort of put myself through the paces and make sure I do read. But yeah. young, I was like, I want to learn about business. So I started reading all like the traditional business books and, um, what was your first one? Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So how how to feel yeah. you're going to say it's that. Always, it's, you know, that's the OG. So. Uh, Kiyosaki gets the ball rolling for, mo- for most people, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he does. You know what? I don't like put a lot of weight in this, the depth of, that he goes through yeah. a lot of stuff. Like sometimes I see shit now, I'm like, what? give shut it a rest. Yeah, like, shut like, up, you've been yeah. saying your recession's come for the last 30 years. <laughs> like if you say it for 30 years, you're bound to be right at some point, but <laughs> shut the fuck up. But no, nah, so I think that's so true. Now, nowadays, like I don't consume like fuck all of his content, yep. but that book sort of was like a real gateway to me of like, wow, what could, mm. you know, what could I do here? And, and then from there, it just was a little bit further, a little bit further. And then discussions with people and, um, considering new business opportunity or business options and yeah. And then development was the first one where I really had to go, had to crack at it. Yeah. Well, so you went to, you completed your bachelor's degree in business. Mm-hmm. So what, I guess the question I have, all right, you've always had the business mindset, which is fantastic. The thing I would probably want to get into is how, first of all, why commercial and not residential and when did that all come into play when you finish your business? You, you obviously, you had your building background as well, but then it's like, all right, cool. I'm going into development. Yeah. So my plans with a business degree was to get a job for somebody else and get experience in business working for somebody. And then, you know, after 10 years of building experience, then start a business. And I mean... It's what we're taught. Just, yeah. Just, I was just about to say, you know, that's people see now, they're like, fucking get a register a domain, get an Instagram handle and you've got a business sort of thing. Like this was pre-e-com just, but it was pre-e-com. So it was get experience and then figure out how to start a business after you've been in the industry for 10, 15 years. But towards the back end of my degree, um, I started considering and I was speaking to you know lecturers and tutors at uni and stuff saying, would I get more experience, you know, working in my dad's business than I would working in a bigger business? And they sort of said potentially because you get, you know, a more well-rounded in a very small business, you can have insight into all aspects of the business. Correct. Yeah. And I was working for my dad and he said, listen, if, if that's the path you want to go down, you want to get experience in this industry. Like I'm not going to be around forever. I was working in the business with my older brother. He's like, I'll hand this business down to you one day. So, you know, you've got something to, to look forward to and just didn't click with me to, to be running a concreting company. It just, uh, for whatever reason, I didn't think that that was like that was the end goal for me, and it didn't even seem like something that I wanted to be in for too long. For experience, you weren't passionate about it. As just much wasn't as passionate it, yeah. about the industry. I think that's what it was, and and any or all elements of the industry, I wasn't passionate about. It was just enough for me. Like this is not what I want to be doing forever. So, Dad, I appreciate you know the opportunity, but um, I want to get into property development. I'll continue working for you, mm. but this is something I really want to do. What made you go? I can make money fighting, but I feel like there's better options. Like what made you drop fighting? Was it like the money wasn't going to be enough? Like you had really big goals and said like financially, what was it that made you go, I'm good at this. I like it, but there's something else might be better. I think I just always had bigger aspirations when I, than what I thought fighting could be for me. Yep. And when I made that decision, it was because I was at a point with my fighting, not with my business, but 
in my career as a boxer, I got to the point where I either had to go full-time into fighting or go another way. All the guys that I was fighting, they were full-time fighters. They had big sponsorships. All they would do is, you know, train and eat, eat, train, sleep, and then fight. And, like, I was running, you know, I was trying to work, you know, 40, 50 hours a week. I was still at uni and trying to fight professionally at that level. And I got offered a big sponsorship and it was like, all right, this is the segue. Do you want to go full-time fighter or do you want to, you know, chase your career aspirations in business? And it's probably one of the hardest decisions I ever made and one that I had like a lot of angst around for some years after I made the decision that was always like, did I shoot the bet on this? Like, did I make yeah, the wrong yeah. call? I uh, feel like that's when your business mind would have come into play and then sort of looked at it statistically, right? And then obviously, you know, you could have a great fighting career, you can have sponsorships and stuff like that. But then there's also, there's a point where, you know, athletes, there's only a small margin after they've completed what they've done, continue to to progress to, to make money. So it's, I think, you know, maybe your business mind came into play there. It was just like, all right, I'll be better off doing, you know, what I want in this realm, hitting my financial goals, which will be continuous throughout my lifetime rather than boxing where, does that make sense? It does. It wasn't the money. <coughs> it was just the business and... Yeah. I could probably see how things could have taken shape now. But at that point, I was like, I don't want to be, I don't want my business capacity to be limited in an athlete circumstance. Yeah, exactly, now it's yeah. different. You know, yeah. you start a YouTube channel, oh, you blow up, you can yeah. start a protein bar and energy drink. <laughs> like you <laughs> can go anywhere. But at, at, that, at that point, I was like, I want to do big business. So this isn't the avenue for me. And, yeah. and that's the decision I made. And then when I decided I wanted to get into property development, it was going to be a very small sideline thing and I was going to continue working for um, my dad until I was to the point where I was self-sufficient and I didn't know how long that was going to be. I knew it was going to be a long time. Well, I expected it was going to be a long time just because of the nature of property development and yeah. and how sporadic income is with settlements and stuff. So um, I'd scoped a little duplex site in um neighboring suburb from where I live. And was this a residential or commercial? It was a residential site. Yeah. So I had only ever considered residential. residential. I'd never considered commercial development. Like a lot of people don't consider commercial property at all. It's like if you're gonna buy a property, you buy a house, apartment or it know. wasn't even I feel like just as of late, meaning like the last few years, it's like it wasn't even a thing. It's like you only bought a commercial, it's like if you had a business where you needed to provide a product or service in that business. Whereas, for example, it's like Danielle, it's like she just stores her stuff there, does her work there, but like no, no transactional stuff is really from there. Yeah. And I feel like that's just come about as of late, again, with like the whole e-commerce thing, or it's just a lot of brands like will just store their clothes there as an example. It's like that, I feel like and that's really recent. A lot of people didn't understand that concept. It's like you don't need to use that space for the business directly as a transaction. Yeah, I mean... Commercial property has been around forever. It mm. just hasn't been the topic of conversation at the mm. dinner table when you're 16, 17, like mum and dad talk about, oh, you know, this person's bought a house or this person's got an investment property or wouldn't it be nice to have a property portfolio? It's always residential and, you know, commercial property, we've always had warehouses, we've always had shopping centres, banks, Correct, yeah. all that sort of stuff, but it just hasn't been been as, as widely talked about. But um, yeah, so I, I met with um, the bank and, and discussed this little duplex site. I'd saved about 50 grand. Um, I was working for my old man concreting. I was working at a local, local garden supply center and I was fighting professionally. And I walked into the bank, had my deposit and I said, I'm ready to buy this site. I'm going you know, to be a developer. Where was the site? Where was it? Yeah. It was in Somerville, which is oh, on yeah. the peninsula. So yeah, yeah it, was, um, it was a small allotment had a house on it already had a second crossover and i without any depth of understanding was like oh i could just build a second house there and could even subdivide it did you have any idea about like overlays restrictions no nothing (laughs) Nothing. didn't even know what a zoning was yeah um but i just could visualize i'm like well if we just draw a line through there i had no idea where any of the infrastructure nothing and (laughs) so i spoke to the bank and and she said listen you've got a sufficient deposit to buy the property but um, you can't show serviceability. So my income was very sporadic, yeah. um, you know, fighting, casual employment. It just, they're like, the bank won't lend you the money. And yeah. I was like, well, what do I do? And she's like, you, that's sort of up to you. All right. So I left, um, went back to the office and registered Ledland <laughs> Developments Proprietary Limited. Straight away. Straight away. Went to the bank the next day, slid my little printed out certificate of registration across the desk and I was like, I'm here to speak to the business lender now. You know, oh, I'm a businessman. Wow. So how did you know to do that? I think 
You know, I was yeah. Facts. Like, some if people I did that, I would have like, what the fuck. Some people don't even know the fact that they can reborrow through different avenues, like whether it's a business or self or as through a trust. Like they don't know that. Yeah, I mean, it's. I'm not sure where it was just a bit of knowledge and just something I thought I'd like, give a go. Some people don't even know what serviceability means. Like, yeah, like I didn't. Fun. I didn't at the time. <laughs> like, I didn't at the time. But she said, you know, the bank needs to know that you're going to be able to repay mm. and you need to show consistent income. Blah blah blah. And I talk about it now like it's second nature because it is. But at the time, I was just like what sitting fuck? in this lady's office at the Commonwealth Bank in Somerville, like not knowing. You know, it's very foreign. But so I went back the next day. Um, company registration and here I am lend me the money now and she's like you just don't get it like you can't come in with a two day old company that has no service history yeah you can't you just <laughs> like no and I was like well, shit what like can you give me some advice how to I've got the money what's the problem and she's like you need somebody to show that you you need to show that you can service a loan you can't do that by yourself so you need a guarantor a for guarantor, a loan. Yeah. she's like do you have a parent that can go guarantor and I was like no this is a business thing like I don't want anything like that and she's like well you know i can't offer you any more advice so i went back and i was like if i was going to get someone to go guarantor i would want it to be a transactional relationship so i was like maybe i could find a business partner so i went to my old man i was like listen this is what i want to do i found this site i've registered this company i've got the deposit um i'm doing it like but i need someone to go guarantor do you want to go into partnership and um, he probably at the time was like, this is a bit cute. Like, you know, um, <laughs> no, nah, he, he, he looked at it and he was like, yeah, listen, I'm, I'm happy to do this, um, but let's do something commercial so I can pour the concrete, um, save a bit of money, get a bit of work out of it, that sort of thing. So that was the segue. So he shifted commercial. you to that. Yeah. Oh, I love well. that from your dad. You yeah, go. do it. Just commercial. Local. Yeah. I, I need, you know, it'd be good for me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Which like, is fair plus enough. Saving, that's in, yeah, in business, yeah. it's, that's how you have to, you know. Yeah. It's how... Uh, how it benefits you as well. Yeah, exactly. It was yeah. a competitive advantage. Like his discussion was commercial buildings, particularly back then, they were 90% concrete. Um, we can pull the concrete ourselves and, and save on. some money. So that was a residential site. That and I was you, looking at. And you built commercial. No, no, didn't oh. buy the site. So oh, you didn't buy nah, that site? No, nah, oh, okay. took another 12 months to find a site from there. To, and, is this, the, yeah. is this the, the water levels one? Is this, is this where we're going? Yeah, okay, yeah, exactly so right. I'm so excited. That was, are, we, are we talking about that? All right. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So That's gangster. that was the first site. <laughs> um, the site had been purchased by a gentleman. He had gone broke <laughs> on it. The bank took it back. Another guy bought it off the bank to develop it. And he was, went broke. He didn't go broke. He just couldn't develop it. And he's like, well, I can't do anything with it now. I'm going to sell it. And I was like, oh, I'm going to develop it. And he's like, you can't, like this site isn't developable. And the guy had um, terminal cancer, which was very unfortunate. It's always sad. Yeah, it is. It's always sad. But um, he said he would enter into an agreement with me um, where the purchase was subject to a due diligence clause, um, which at the time I didn't know what a due diligence clause was, but... I just essentially said, I want to buy the site, but I want to be able to get out of it if I can't develop it sort of thing. And we had six months to ascertain whether we could do that or not. So we put a 50 grand deposit down. Was that the due diligence period? That's months? what's called a due diligence yeah, period. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is it always know, six yeah. months? Is that period always six months? Nah, no, nah, it's not. It's it can not. vary depending on the development site, how big it is. Yeah. It, what negotiation. Yeah, sometimes we do 14 days DD, sometimes, <laughs> yep. you know. Which is very rare. Is it yeah. <laughs> quote unquote like a cooling off period almost? Uh, if you had to explain it to like the everyday person, like that's more not like in a, this field, it's more like a subject to finance or subject to building invest. Okay. Yeah, it's a vis- investigative period. So okay. I want to buy the site for X amount, but I only want to buy that site if I can do X Y Z, and I've got to go find out if I can do X Y Z. Okay, so cool. Um, it's not just you changing your mind. Okay. Sweet. No, but Perfect. I mean, if you have a completely open due diligence period, it can be just you changing your mind. But anyway, I don't want to aggress too much. The <laughs> site was. Um, Indevelopable. There was stormwater um, and sewer issues out the front, and um, basically, what happened was I met with a couple of consultants, and like this was a hugely nerve-wracking process at the time because I didn't know what the fuck oh, I was doing. I was very young. These guys were very old, yeah. like, um, and essentially they said you can't develop it. The levels don't work, and I was like, well, can you explain why? And essentially, there wasn't room for the stormwater to get enough fall out of the block and into the drains out the front. The drains were too high, and I was like well, what's the problem? He's like, the drains are too high. And I'm like, how much too high? And he's like, well, it doesn't matter because there's regular, it's like either it's too high or it's not. And I was like, well, all right, um, can you like show us the levels? And he printed off all these sort of stuff. 
And for whatever reason, um, we decided to check the levels. And you're not, al- <laughs> you're not actually allowed to open up a Melbourne water or Southeast water asset. Absolutely not. So um, did you? <laughs> we did. Yeah. So we, I remember like, yes, yeah, yeah, I'm crossing my fingers. Um, <laughs> allegedly. No. So I went to this um, local plumbing supplies place and got a pit lid lifter, which uh, yeah. is like the, they're like a special hook um, that lifts these assets and, this guy was like, he didn't want any money for it because he didn't want any record of like lending it to me and hiring it to me and stuff like that. So he just gave me this pit lid lifter and um, we went and lifted up some of the pit lids and we shot the levels and we plotted the levels and I only knew how to do that from my construction background. And we just like, it was my brother and I, we set up like men at work signs, put our high-vis on, parked the truck out the front. We just looked like we knew what we were doing and shot the levels and no, nothing ever come of it. But we marked the levels down, went back to the civil engineer and was like, here's Melbourne water records that you gave us. They don't match up with our levels. What What's going on? And he had a look at it and he's, you know, doing some calculations and stuff like that. And he's like, can you check these? And um, well, first he almost read us our rights. He's like, it's illegal. You know, it's a state crime to do this, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, relax. It's <laughs> I didn't, yeah, didn't yeah. poison the water. Um, and he's like, you've missed one. So he's like, if you can go back and get that level... I don't know how you're going to do it or, and I'm not advising you on how you should do it, but if you can get the correct level of that pit. So we went and plotted that, broke the law again, criminals, <laughs> and um, went back, showed it to him. He run the um, numbers and he's like, it works. So the site went from being worth um, 800K to about 2.4 mil. Things you do. Yeah. But you had already purchased, put down the We had it under contract at 800. Perfect. Yeah. Because so yeah, if you can't do anything on the land, then it's just land. Like you yeah. can't do anything. How good is that? Like he bought it and then. Click of fingers, pretty much, and you just four hundred grand, four hundred grand increase in like quote unquote profit or what it's worth. It would have been two point four million. Oh, two point four. I had one point two. No, yeah. it's almost yeah. like what one point eight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jeez, yeah. I heard it went from eight hundred to one point two. That's I don't yeah. Know why I so that. I think it was one point six mil um, increase, <clears> and I just I remember that point in time when that actually happened because the whole thing was a pointless exercise up until then, and I expected that it was going to be. a not a pointless exercise, but to no avail. It was experience. My whole mentality was like, if I spend the next five years getting experience, I'll be happy. If I make any money, it's a bonus. So that whole exercise of doing all this work, it was like, we're just sort of going through the motions to try and learn. And then it was like, fuck, this this might actually work. And um, and it did. And that was sort of- That's what, crazy. That was the, the first project. And um, we subdivided that. And then we did five factories then another five. And then we did 10. And then- So was that your first- First one. It was my first property purchase. First introductory to any sort of property acquisition, any sort of debt, um, and and a real construction. And schedule. what year was that in? <clears throat> 2014. 2014. Okay. And when you built S- SBP, yep. How many factories? How many properties are in there now? Uh there will be 147 once complete. Okay. So what's that? Eight eight years. Eight years since then. Nine years since then. You started at five factories in your first development. Now there's 147, you said? Like, fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. That, that's that's f- fucking huge. I feel like that in itself is a, a take home. It's like, just keep chipping away. It's like things grow, you, you build momentum, and then you can use your cash, cash flow to reinvest and then keep building wh- whatever business or service industry or you might be in. It's like, or product. It's like, use it, reinvest it, and just use that as growth and equity to continue building your business. That's such a big, like, nine years. And that's another thing. It's like people want, like, now. Like, I want to be rich now. I want big business now. It's like everybody sees you for Oscar now with the big business park and, you know, the cool car or whatever. But it's like they don't see that shit. They don't see you start off at not having the money or serviceability to seeing your dad, to getting help, to slowly investing, to saving up all your money to make that initial start. A lot of people just say, oh, this guy's like just rich now, you know, whatever. It comes and it goes. Yeah, I mean, like even when you <laughs> say that, when it's like, all right, 2014 was my first introductory to property and it was part-time and the the journey from there till now has been like, there's Rocky. been major milestones, there's been was, major setbacks. Like yeah. I've thought I've lost it all time and time again and like I've fucking, you know, had many sleepless nights and stuff like that. And it's not like, all right, now, you know, we're doing... 
40, 50, 60, 80 million dollar projects. Now it's smooth sailing. It's the same journey. It's just different numbers and different problems. So I'm not resting at like, whew, you know, fuck, that was hard back in the day, but now I've made it and like I can cruise along sort of thing. It's yeah, like the, from where I want to be in another nine years, like I've got to turn it up to a whole other level. The problems, everybody says it's like when you, whatever industry you're in, your problems stay the same. They literally just scale and get bigger. The problems yeah. are the same. It's financial or like you're meeting this deadline or whatever it might be but they literally just scale. So instead of you having a settlement of, let's just say 500,000, now it's like 15 million or whatever it is. It's like, and that's even more stressful. So like everybody thinks, oh, you know, once your business has made it, that's when it becomes easy. It's like, no, it's actually fucking twice as hard because now everything's so much worse and there's so many more people in the picture and like not everybody's as reliable as you need them to be. Especially when you're in ma- like massive companies. Like I know a guy who literally develops like buildings in the city and loaded, absolutely loaded. And he's got the same stresses. Like he just has the same stresses. But I think for him now, it's he's just pulled away for it, from it completely. Like he's put a CEO in place, and he's got a massive organization that runs it all now. He just sort of sits there and just fucking does whatever. He still gets emotionally invested and still always freaks out about things. I mean, there's a lot that can go wrong. Yeah, and I'm sure like the news comes <coughs> on, there's shit going on in Ukraine, a material shortages, 100%. and he'd be his heart would be racing, and yep. he'd have you know other considerations is my ceo performing at the level that he should be is mm. do i need to do this like it's different obviously there's a point in your life and whether it be because of an age or an achievement level or whatever it is where you take the foot off the gas a little bit but for me that's just not in sight yet um well <laughs> one thing i want i really wanted to ask is like if things went to, let's say, quote unquote, ground zero from now, let's just say, God forbid, you know, lost all the business and you just went back to working a nine to five, let's just say, or whatever it might be, how would you feel? Would you feel like you're still the same person? Would you, what, what would your sort of thought process be? Not, not, not so much in terms of like, what did I do wrong? But more so just like, would you feel different as a person? Because I feel like, again, in today's social media day and age, everybody thinks that, Money solves all these issues and money makes the world a very beautiful place and things are just sunshine and rainbows all the time or, you know, having a big business. So, like, if you were, quote-unquote, to go back to the average person, for lack of a better example, how would you sort of feel about that? I mean, up until you said nine to five, I felt all right. But, mm-hmm. like, the nine to five thing, I just couldn't... Instant anxiety. Yeah, exactly right. Like, that triggers so much shit in me about, like, lack of freedom and, like, I don't want to work nine to five. I want to work fucking... 6am to 8pm, but I want to be able to do it on my terms and to be com- com- like constrained to nine to five for a long period, I just couldn't do. I could work nine to five. If I had to start again, like yeah, getting- that, That's a, a better way to put it. What would you have to do? If I had to, to start, start again, again, nine to five probably wouldn't be the first thing. If I literally had, yeah, if I literally had zero dollars <laughs> and couldn't pay rent, well then I would get a nine to five. So I get my weekly paycheck and can eat and shit like that. But the segue away from that would be pretty quick now. It would be much quicker than what it was the first time I did it. And there's different industries that I would try in and I, I would like, uh, there's other industries. I've thought about this a, a thousand times. There's other industries where I'm like, fuck, I, could I wouldn't. do this and that. Oh, not whether I could do this or that. It's like, I wouldn't mind having a go at that, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And sometimes it's like, I've built something now and there's so much potential there and it's amazing and I want to take it like to a thousand x what it is now but it's also like well if that disappeared and i it'd almost be refreshing to to start again in touch wood never happens but if that was the case i'd take it on take it on the chin as a as a person how would you would you feel like again it it comes up a lot like your self-worth is like shit would you feel sort of crap about yourself because you don't have all this money you don't have all these things and you don't have this big brand and backing behind you i I don't think money's the issue i think uh, like a proper businessman if you know when push comes to shove and shit happens and they do go back because a lot of them do it's knowledge that takes them forward so they know exactly what the fuck to do and how to do it and how to do it better to just grow again yeah i mean massive failures like as much as i want to like take away the rolexes the cars blah 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 am i the same person 100 percent like i 100 percent believe that but a massive failure particularly if it's public or like you know if you have lived somewhat in the limelight and you've Mm. got a really down like that's gonna like your ego or i'll speak for myself like my ego would take a big hit from that and there would definitely be some level of 
you know, cooling off after that before I'm like, all right, now I'm ready to take it on. But I don't think it would be long. Like I'd cop it on the chin and, and try and look at like, where did I fail? What did I do wrong? Was there any level of misfortune? Try and push the blame onto bad luck. I don't know. Yeah. Um, just trying to be like, how can I be better from that and, and go again? That's all you can do. That's literally yeah. like in my head, I was like, that's the <coughs> answer that I would have liked to hear. Because a lot of people just go, oh, fuck, you know, it's over now. Let me just move on from that or whatever. But it's like you went again. What happened? Why did it happen? What can I do to move forward? And like, the, I feel like they're the three questions you need to ask yourself mm. no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what, um, let's say, unfortunate event occurs, it's wh- what happened, why did it happen, and how can I move forward? Because mm. if you're not and asking those three, it's like you're going, you, you, and I, I think there's, you, you were saying this about the escalator thingy. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. if you're not going forward, you're going down. It's like you're never in the same spot. If you're not moving forward, you're not progressing, you're going backwards. You ever seen those videos where they like do sort of like, this is what life is. You know, those escalators at the airport where they're flat. Yeah. 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 And if you stand still, you go backwards. Yeah. If you, yeah, walk, yeah. If you keep going forward, yeah. you're going forward. Yeah. And then if you're just walking, you're in the same spot. hundred yeah. percent. I mean, like <clears throat> I have this reflection in my current situation. I don't just think like, where would I be if it all disappeared? Oh, uh, you know, what did I do wrong? What could I have done better? What did I have no control over? I give those things consideration in my current situation. I'm like, all right, this is this is my journey for the last, whether I'm looking at three months, 12 months, 10 years, what could I have done better? Or what did I do that really helped? Or what didn't I do? Like, what was luck? You know, I'm not ignorant to the fact that like luck does, play, whether it's good or bad luck, like there is the impact of chance on everyone's circumstances and there's privilege as well, you know, like um, we shouldn't get too far into it because it's all sensitive topic, but straight white, healthy male, like I'm fucking straight away in the top percent of, you know, privilege born in Australia in the, you know, living in the early two thousands, like I'm pretty fucking privileged. Like I can't be ignorant to that fact. Um, so I consider all that as it is. And I think that makes things easier too, is like, you just got to roll with the punches a little bit at the moment. It feels like it's going really good for me. Maybe it could be going better. Who knows? Or or maybe it could all turn to shit. And like, if, and when something changes, you just got to roll with it. I think that mindset in itself, which we both have in our personal lives and with, with what we do, it's like, like you said, like things are going really well, you know, money might be coming in, your business might be successful. You might have a really good network and team around you, but it's like, what you said is like, what happens if I could be doing better? I think that's a, a really good mindset that not a lot of people carry, but should. I think that's a really valuable mindset to have where it's like, okay, I'm doing really fucking good. Things are amazing. What happens if they could be excellent? Or what happens if I could just take it up another notch? What happens if I could get another team member, another $100 a week or like whatever, th- another project happening? I think that's when you just, that whole aspect of you doing your best that you know you can do the best. Whereas like if, if you're doing mediocre, and then you know you could be doing better. That's always going to play in your mind. But I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I have this mindset. Like even at my best, if I'm doing you know, 100 hours a week, whatever it might be, I always think mm, there's probably something more I could do. Like I never feel yeah, like I'm at my peak. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. It's like the question is, what is your best? And it's like, if you're considering you're doing your best as like you're giving it your best effort, well, then there is some level of capacity. It's like you do a workout. It's like, if you push to a failure and not like mind failure, like, you know, you fuck yourself and like <laughs> you, your legs are failing and shit like that. Well, yeah. in terms of effort, that's your best. But in terms of like, how has your prep been leading up to that workout? You know, have, have no, you had yeah. carbs? Have you eaten too much? It's like, you're just raising the standard for what your capabilities actually so are. True. That's, I've never thought about it like that in terms of like, obviously in the gym we do, but in terms of business, you don't think about like, you just think about the current event that's occurring, whether it be signing that deal, whether it be the, the concrete literally being poured, it's like, cool. Was it raining the day before? Did the trucks come on time? It's like, we, that's actually so big to think about the lead up of events that can lead to our best performance. And it's like, you know, hustle culture, hustle culture is getting demonized at the moment. Oh, and it's like, fucked. How, yeah. And like, but before that <clears throat> hustle culture was like, it's like, don't sleep, don't eat, work a hundred hours a week. Like mm. if I don't catch up with you, if you haven't got bags under your eyes and like, you know, suffering from an autoimmune <laughs> disease, you're not working hard enough, you know, like that is like how it got. But Oscar up just summed up my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it got up until, you know, the recent years. And then all of a sudden there's this major shift and it's like, Work when you feel like it. And it's like, that's a load of shit too, you know. But there is this balance. And like working 100 hours a week 
isn't necessarily at your best. Like if you can work a hundred hours a week, maintain great relationships, maintain great health, have some me time and balance every aspect of your life. Well then like you're fucking, you're doing pretty well then. But like, I think there's a more holistic view that needs to be considered as your best. I agree. Um, I just have a question for you just to going back off on what Krim was saying about, you know, if you were to go to, to ground zero, if, and I think it will relate well with, uh, people listening you knowing all the knowledge that you know about everything but you were put in a situation where you just started from let's just say the only resources you had was a car and a house how would you go about so it's not nothing but you got a car and a house how would you go about building you know and having the same ambitions and building wealth and everything if you had those resources what would be the first things you do? Not to put you on the spot. Just I mean, so. I don't think I'd do much different, to be <clears> honest. <throat> like, and I think it comes down to I don't see myself as having much more than a car and a house at the moment. In terms of like where my ambitions are, mm. whether you have a car or a house or you have 10, 20, 30 million dollars in assets, like for me, it's the same shit. Like mm. until I'm at that next level, I'm like, I'm really just I'm not fucking around, but like I haven't hit that milestone of having like, you know huge asset base and like big piles of cash and the house worth 10 million with no mortgage. And like, until I've got those level of things, I see myself still being at that ground zero thing. And I think that's why there's not so much anxiety about like losing it because like I haven't actually gained that much yet in, in my perspective. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I get it. So in terms of like, if I, if you took away everything and I was starting again tomorrow, if I was starting my industry not a huge amount would change. Like if I got to keep my network and my memory wasn't erased and I got to keep my knowledge and like the game didn't, yeah, the game didn't change. I would be back tomorrow doing projects like I'm doing today without a doubt. It's just, there would have to be a little bit more focus on, you know, how the sales work because I wouldn't have an established brand and, but I would put measures in place for that and yeah, I'd kick straight on. Actually, touching on that, what, what do you think sort of built the name? Because, again, there's a lot of people that do it. There's a lot of, you know, development people that do it. But it's like your name grew. Like everybody knows Lead Lenders. Like they're the goat in commercial. Like how do you think that came about? Where did that sort of rent, that, that jump and go? Like like we have we have this big name now. For an example, um, let's take e-tuners as an example. It's like everybody does tuning for cars. But it's like you say e-tuners. Even to some people that don't even know about cars, they just know the name. Mm. So it's like, where do you think that sort of stemmed from for you? Like how did, was it was like from your dad. Do you think like from your network, your name just went bang? Yeah. I think one thing you've done well is your social media presence compared to other developers. Yeah. I think like it's definitely my dad ran under his business is called all about concrete and he had great presence, but like, you know, he would meet people that would talk about all about concrete in a very small construction circle and they wouldn't know Ledland because he, it didn't run out of his business name or anything like that. So I felt, I feel like the brand outside of a professional construction circle, Ledland didn't mean anything up until probably, you know, the recent two or three years. Social media has been like the biggest impact on that. And then just doing good business, you know, like just doing, doing good shit, creating a good product, creating the best product in the market, marketing well, you know, refined marketing and... and um, Funnels. Not funnels, just like professionally presented marketing. And it's interesting because the commercial property space, it's not, or until recently, it hasn't had to... Com- you haven't had to compete at the level of, say, luxury apartments, designer clothes. What You know, the marketing was fucking a A4 plan, a black and white price list 10 years ago. You know, it was very, yeah. very far behind. Now we're doing, you know, more progressive stuff. So I think just trying to be a market leader in the in in all aspects of the space. So best product, best marketing and, and you know, and good business decisions like moral ethics and, and that sort of stuff. The whole idea behind you building a community in the office space, in the commercial space, I think is fantastic because a lot of developers could not give a fuck. It's what who, they say, price tag. Yeah, they're just money. They're very statistical. They couldn't care who buys it whether there's actually a community there or not, they just do their job. They move on to the next, they sell and then they move on. Yeah. So no, I, think, I agree. I see, I see I think that. your community is very important. Yeah. And we'd be very fortunate with yeah. that. Like, um, 
very early on, I was always long term. I think being younger, you just naturally you have a longer term focus. You have mm. longer left to run in the race. So, like all my decision making was long term from very early on. But we were fortunate enough to find our niche of supplying that young entrepreneurial market. And once we figured out how we can do that with refining the product to be um, more aesthetic and more functional for these type of um, business users and then marketing them and talking to them in a way that they understand. Mm. Once we put that together, we really started attracting these like-minded people. And then when you create a space for them, so you bring all these like-minded people together in a business park, that's you know the first thing. And it's fantastic. we figured out how to do that. And then the second thing is creating an environment that encourages them to collaborate with one another. So this is where we're trying to deliver communal rooftop terrace in the business park. You know, we, yeah. we want good coffee shops there. We want a communal car wash. So yeah. it's Michael, you and me on a Friday afternoon, we bump into each other down the car wash, washing our cars and we meet. And then you now we talk about what are we going to do? Oh, there's a communal podcast room. Let's go shoot a podcast on Friday yeah, night. And, and that builds, you know, presence for both our businesses. It shares ideas and then, poor. yeah, exactly right. And then, you know, we've, we, for whatever reason, attract a lot of young female entrepreneurs. So we have, you know, high proportion of female business owners in our business parks and traditional. So that helps to create just a, I don't know if it's a more feminine environment, just a calmer and, and you know, there's cavoodles running around and there's, there's no testosterone. Yeah. There's not a lot of tests pumping around. No everyone's walking around with their chest out. It's like, it's just different. So um, you bring them into the mix and then, you know, throw in a couple of co-working office spaces, communal boardroom, you know, outdoor eating areas. And all of a sudden you've got these environments that encourage people to get to know each other. And then the community forms from there. Even with the Springvale now, I can almost compare it to like walking to an, an Apple store. You walk into an Apple store, there's nice lights. It's very calm. It's just like very welcoming. It's like you drive into the Springvale Park, like there's nice, nice trees. Everything's well groomed. Everything's trimmed. All the business signs look nice. Like it's very welcoming. And like I said, it puts you in like this mindset of like, Who's here? What can I do? How can I speak to people? Not just like, yeah, just a bunch of factories. Like, and it's a thousand one percenters that, that make up to that feeling. And we we started getting that early and, um, you know, we would laugh when we hear it and then it just becomes so frequent. It was everybody who would come to the business park, they would get there and they'd be like, it's just got a nice vibe. And nobody could pinpoint what it is, but it's a thousand little things, you know, it's the landscaping as you're coming into the place. It's the quarterly window cleaning built into the OC so the mm. building's always presented well. It's appropriate signage. It's, you know, you drive down and there's a couple of guys and girls on a sustainable built park bench having their lunch outside in the sun and it's these things that just create that environment and then from there, put the like-minded people together and, and they take care of the rest. Well, even that in itself, like I said, the like-minded people, like let's say I'm a random person going to buy a piece of artwork from Danielle. But I see, you know, drive-in, first shop you see is a, an automotive shop with all these nice supercars usually out the front. And then you've got this development place and then you've got this really, you know, boutique gym. And then you're like, again, it's like, well, it makes, it even stimulates yourself as a quote unquote average person. It's like, what could I be doing? Or what are these people doing? What can I be, what am I doing wrong? How can I be better? So I feel like, it, like you said, that environment is so stimulating and welcoming that it really wants, it, it encourages just to become a better version of yourself, like without even doing anything. It's a very aspirational environment. You know, you pull up and Gordy will have his GT3 RS out the front. There'll be a Lambo in for a twin turbo kit, just ridiculous <coughs> yeah. cars. And then next door to him, Harley will have a G-Wagon parked out the front. And then James James has got his C63 wagon. And it's just like, I don't know how many G-Wagons there is in the business. <laughs> like G-Wagons and Cavoodles seem to be like, they're more prevalent than anywhere. Just put a fucking Mercedes sign at the front yeah, of exactly. it. Yeah. It's a prerequisite to buy. You have to have a G-Wagon and a Cavoodle exactly. or you're not allowed to yeah. buy a property. Just, yeah. property. just out of curiosity, at what stage throughout the development, like you build your commercial factories, when does OC come into play? So that comes in. So sorry to interrupt. Can you explain? Because I don't know. OC is uh, owners corporation. Can you define what that is? Because I'm sure like there's a lot of people that won't know what that is. So it's essentially <clears throat> a management infrastructure to take care of the communal benefits of the business park. So which only came into play quite recently. It's become more and more prevalent just through design. So if we share a driveway, it's like who's responsible for the driveway if it needs maintenance, whose insurance covers it if somebody was to fall over and hurt themselves. And then, you know, it 
flows onto things like the communal garden areas, the, um, the communal windows and, and things of this sort of nature. So the OC is in place following certificate of occupancy. So when the oh, building's okay. complete, the day after the building's complete, um, we have what's called an interim general meeting, which is where the OC is set up. Yeah. And at that point, the OC is in place. But at that point in time, the developer still owns all the property. So he... He's every member. Yeah, Yeah, so you have to fork out the money for the OC. Yeah, and you write all the rules. Like you set up all the rules for the OC. So we set up different rules to what another. You know, there's template rules, and 99 percent of the developers are like, "Yep, sign off on the template rule. Template rules. That's the OC form." But we're like, "No, we want to put measures in place to, um, I guess, curate the environment we want long term." And the OC controls that. So if you if you just do a fresh like a a new business park and you've got a 50% vacancy rate, do you have to pay the OC for those other ones? How does it work like that in that regard? If I own... If the, you own the other 50% that are not... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, but if Springvale... Uh, sorry, a Ledland Business Park would never have a 50% vacancy uh, rate. So I, I know. I was just... Yeah, <laughs> I know. What, what is it? Aren't they like pretty much all pretty much sold before like buildings even commenced? Yeah, they usually... Yeah, we've never finished a project <laughs> without selling it. And that is fantastic. And how does that work? Do you like just show them... Do you show them plans and photos of what the finished product would look like? And they're just like, yep, I love it. This is what I need to come in. Is that usually how it sort of goes? Well, very early on, we didn't have recent projects or anything like that. So it was all just like, here's the plans, here's the vision. And um, it was very much a like, this is what we're going to deliver and I'll give you my word on it type yeah. thing. You know, with we have contracts in place and all that sort of stuff, but there wasn't a lot to represent what we were going to deliver. And then after we got a few projects under our belt, it became like there's a bit more trust in the brand. We could say, oh, our recent project's here and you can look at that and, and, and that sort of thing. And now more recently, you know, we have um, a display suite at Springvale Business Park. So for potential purchases of future projects, we can bring them down there. They can come to Springvale Business Park. They feel the vibe. They see the community. They can see how many businesses um, are in the area, how many um, properties are up for lease, which is none, you know, these sort of things. And then we could talk through our next business park, show them artist impressions, plans, some of the things we have planned for the community and that sort of stuff. Building excitement around it. So I think it's good. On a very simple level, that's almost showing results. So like that, that's what helps build that trust and that easiness and that willingness to buy. And I think that comes down to any business. Let's just say personal training. It's like, you could be jacked or whatever, but it's like, if you're showing people results, like I can help you grow muscle, I can help you lose weight. It's like people that automatically builds that trust. And now you're going, cool, this is our business park and we're going to make the next one even better. It's like, if this is our standard and we're going to shit on that and beat it. Mm. I, and they, again, like people go, oh, well, that's amazing. And if you're saying it's going to be even better, then I have no reason not to buy. And then it becomes brand, right? And, and we have clients, we have interstate clients or, or people that aren't even clients yet. And they'll reach out and they'll be like, I've got this much money. What can I buy from you? Mm. And they don't care. They haven't been to Springvale Business Park. They haven't seen our other just projects. The they don't know what we're selling. Yeah. They don't care where it is. They don't care what it is. They just want to, they just trust that if they buy a commercial property from Ledland, then it's a great one. Yeah, that's so good. It's, it's humbling for us, but it's like, it's taken, you know, eight, nine, almost 10 years to get to that point where people, they don't need to know what color are we going to paint them? What suburb they're in? You know, what inclusions, what color the floor is going to be? What color taps are going to be? They just know that we will do a, it's a high standard, the highest standard in the market and it'll be com- competitively priced and, and they're happy with that. So <clears throat> again, I just I, like you got into development. Are you curious? Have you gotten into like residential at all? Is it only commercial for you? No. And are you only going to stick to commercial? Apart from a passion project or two or something like that, later on down the track, my focus, sole focus is in commercial property. Yeah. So what are your takes on people and, and investors always sort of mentioning that you need some sort of diversity in a portfolio? I mean, there's definitely weight in that. And for me, diversity can mean so many different things. It can mean different suburbs. It can yep. mean different asset classes within commercial property. So commercial property you know, there would be maybe 30 different Shit. property types, you know. Oh, there's heaps, yeah. There's warehouses, offices, there's storage, there's flexi units, there's different sizes of all those sort of things. There is service stations, there is self-storage units, that, you know, there's shopping centres, there's airports, there's train stations, there's shipping, like there's fucking, you know, literally dozens of different commercial property <clears throat> types and they all operate 
and perform better or worse in different circumstances, you know, macroeconomic environmental yeah. impacts, stuff like that. So I think we can have diversity within that class. Yeah, within different niche. And, and for me, that might not, it might be like different size business parks, business parks in regional, business parks in, you know, metro, metro outer suburban. Um, yeah. But it's still good though. Like, I think one of the, <clears throat> sorry, the main things with commercial is like your biz, your Springvale Park at the moment. Like, if you have, for whatever reason, someone leave. You know, you could put someone straight back in there because the space can be, no, the space can be utilized. Whereas if you have a commercial property, like a manufacturing plant, for example, sometimes they're designed where it's really hard to put tenants back in to put, you know, get a lease in there because it can't be utilized. And there's a lot of cost involved in that too. That's actually a really really good thing to put. Again, I'm just going to take Ali's. So from one to tinting, it's like, it's an amazing space. He's got an upstairs mezzanine, he's got an office. It's like if he left and literally office workers needed the space, they could use it. Or if somebody wanted to do, again, Danielle wanted to do painting or someone automotive, like they, the space can be utilized in so many different ways. So I think finding tenants is, I'm not sure, if, I'm, I'm assuming that was intentional of how, they, how, they, how they've been built. Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of different products to tailor to meet a lot of different demands. And yeah. like there is a lot of diversity among the users within the business park. Um, there are a few that we don't allow, like, so we don't allow heavy manufacturing. We don't allow panel beaters and stuff like that. And like everyone's, that would fuck the environment of that. Everyone's dinged a panel on their car and panel beaters are needed and stuff, but they're just not needed within Leadland projects. So it's just about upholding the environment. You know, if Danielle's trying to paint, shoot some content for, She's catching up with the rock, whatever she's doing. <laughs> a fucking semi backing up. Yeah, you know, you got somebody banging on a panel out <laughs> the like door next. Yeah, just it's not. Yeah, it doesn't not. work. So yeah. um, we need to protect that. But there is a diverse use, and it's just an incredibly strong market in an emerging market as well. You know, e-commerce has just changed the platform of property. It changes how we use property. It changes how much space we need within a property, and. Um, you know, our sector has really thrived off the back of that. And I think it's really only just getting started. There's mm. two two main things I want I wanted to touch on. One of them is being similar to what Michael was saying about investing. So if let's just say you're a you know twenty year old kid out of school, you saved up some money, you're looking to invest. Um outside of your professional opinion as well, but like even as a, on a personal level, what would you recommend would be a smartest in investment option? Would it be would it, would it be residential, would it be commercial? Doesn't it have to be oh, through you, but like in terms of cash flow and sort of return on investment and like a positively positively geared investment, what would you recommend if you had to give a general piece of advice? Just like I think the first place that I would invest if I lost all my money and uh, or if, let's just say I'm 20 years old and I'm looking for somewhere I want to place my money and get the biggest return on investment, I honestly would invest in myself in education, in mindset, and in any form of personal performance improvement yeah i think that is like the most underrated Fuck. area of investment like that we we just don't talk about it 100 yeah. we talk about personal development and we talk about doing things but we never talk about it with an investment point of view it's like oh we should read and stuff like that it's like well block out time to read it's like are you invested enough to block out time to read and it's like all right well you know maybe i'll do that and it's like oh you know you need to network and surround yourself with like you know people who have done what you do and it's like all right well this person's going to charge 10 grand to tell you what they've done over 10 weeks you're like i'm not fucking paying 10 grand to learn about that well it's like okay you want to do these things and you'll put them on a fucking black screen and reshare them and say that it's great to do but if you're not actually going to invest in doing it then like you're missing the entire point so i think first place to invest is like in yourself in whichever area you think needs the most development and there's so many different areas for that it's particular career focus you know niche knowledge general knowledge general business then there's like the whole mindset you know um i guess emotional control and all these things that are tested as you become whether it's a business owner or a high performing employee or an investor like your emotions are tested all throughout mm-hmm. so i think yeah i think personal Mindset. development Mindset's, Mindset's so key. Like, it's the key. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think investing in that, which I'm still doing that and like all the highest performers I know at any level are still investing heavily in, in themselves. But it health doesn't and their stop. Mindset. I don't think it stops. No, like, there's yeah. no end there's no end thing. Oh yeah, I'm completely 
okay with myself now. It's it's you're always you're always developing, you're always learning, and you're always moving forward. It's literally why we're here. It's why we do this. Yeah, like personal development does never stop. It's like you stop learning when you die. It's like you're learning something new. Like I literally didn't know what OC was. Is that what it's called? OC it's yeah. yeah, it's like there you go. It's like something so small, and it's like but again, you have to have those intentions behind it. Am I willing? Do I want to invest? Even t- the time behind it. Like a lot of people have the money. They go, I don't have the time or they don't want to make the time to set aside because they'd rather just do other shit. Yeah, and in, and investment can be so many different things, right? It can be sacrificing time. It can be sacrificing funds. It can be sacrificing other opportunities. And like, and you guys are doing it right now. You know, you're investing your time and energy and then there's all the stuff that goes on after the hour-long chat, the, the less fun yeah. shit of editing and posting <laughs> 100%, and yeah. scheduling and stuff. And you're doing that mm. all for the benefit of others and some of the benefit of your own personal development. It's, and this I think that's where we need to start. Something yeah. I was having a chat about um, with a friend of mine yesterday. And again, it's like our jobs, what we actually do is the fun part. It's everything outside of that, that shit. And people don't see it's like, cool. I like training people. He likes selling homes. You like selling property, commercial property. It's like, the contracts, the writing up, the legalities, it's the making the calls, it's, you know, has this person responded to the due diligence or whatever the hell it is. It's like <laughs> writing the programs. It's all the back end shit that nobody actually likes doing that makes up majority of the job itself where people don't want to be doing that stuff. That's true. Mm. Yeah. It's like, oh, real estate's so good. Do you enjoy it? It looks so fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try putting boards out on a Saturday when you're just getting started. It's yeah, like, exactly yeah. right. It's like anything. There's the shit part of any, you know, yeah. of any The majority activity. of the time, my, my point was like the shit part usually makes up majority of it. And yeah. it's like that 1% that we put on Instagram or whatever, like, cool, sold or, you know, sold. Highlights. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. What do you do? You got such large projects now. Like, what do you do to sort of mitigate... Sh- Stress. Do you have a, like a risk mitigation process or like, because obviously like there would be a lot of stress entailed with these large projects. Yeah. I mean, is that where you go back to yourself and like, you know, like your own personal development? Like, how I do guess you there's, with there's so many different aspects of it and it's like, what is the stress and is it make or break stress or is it, you know, like yesterday you had a $120,000 unforeseen costs. Like <laughs> it's just, and that is like it was, a, house all goods. it was a yeah it was a stressful two hours and then it was a stressful ten minutes when I was revisiting it in conversation with my missus last night over dinner and that's that's it you know like that's stress managed stress done I think like stress management is probably the biggest thing because if you're doing anything at an elevated level whether yeah. it's an elite level or an extreme level or just an above average level if you're doing anything at an elevated level there's going to be stress yeah there's no mitigation or removal of the stress it's just how you're going to manage it yeah, so okay. i think like stress management is is something that um i've recently started focusing more on and it's having the outlets like we have you know which is gym is a big one i'm trying to meditate more you know meditated um, three times a week for the last month, which is a big thing for me. And like, it's just finding different activities to, I guess, manage that stress, whether it's spending more quality time with your family and friends, physical activity, um, switching off, trying to watch a movie, reading a book. I don't know. Meditation is actually so overlooked. It's incredibly underrated. It's, un- underrated, it's yeah. so underrated. Yeah. Like just even five, 10 minutes a day Yeah, to sit with yourself and just, you know, fucking Be absorbed. absorb and just ground. Yeah, it's so underrated. You don't see the results in the first week or week and a half. You see it after maybe two, three weeks, where the urge to to look at your phone and go on social media is like, no, nah, okay, I'm I'm good. Like you're much more zoned in, 100%. and calm. And I think that's so important when you you know at your level or you know you've got business and such large investments. Meditation is like fantastic. Honestly, it's important at every level, 100%, any level. Yeah, you whether know, you're yeah whether you're just starting off or even whether you're just in high school, like it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it needs to be spoken about more. And I think like there's so much more understanding that can be explored in, in that space. And like there's more and more science coming about yeah. out about like studying brain waves and what that has and the long life lasting impact after the, you know, five or 10 minutes of uh, meditation. But I think it's definitely something that um, we'll be seeing more and more of in the entrepreneurial space. hundred percent. I think yeah, when you when you get to have that side of yourself too, you, you, you just excel. Like you just you're much more constructed. I was literally telling my mum yesterday, um, 
I think it's a good thing to even like end on. It's like you can only help others when you're the best version of yourself. And again, it's like if you're stressed, everybody knows you're not the best version of yourself. You're angry, mm. you're upset, you're eagerly, uh, your temper just goes through the roof. It's like even like on a simple level, you can't concentrate. Can't, you can't concentrate on specific tasks because your brain's rushing about, or again, like that 120 grand, like this has to be paid or this has to be sorted, but like I'm trying to write this contract. And it's like, you're not actually giving each task that needs to be done 100% because your brain's preoccupied doing something else. You always feel like you're running late. You always feel like you haven't got enough and time. when you're in a rush, yeah. Yeah. It just, and it's just like when you've got a partner too, it's just like, oh, babe, just fuck. Like, just yeah. You don't want to speak you know? to anyone. You don't yeah. want to speak to anyone. You're just fucking stressed. Yeah. And, and at its core, the biggest thing is, is you're not enjoying 100%, life. yeah. Like when you're in a situation where you're bouncing from task to task and like you're not enjoying the moment, like you're essentially wasting, you know, the days that we have and like – Whatever it is, 80, 90, 100 years, it's not a huge amount of time. I think like there's so much more to be done for just enjoying even the shit parts, putting the boards out on the weekend and fucking, you know, writing programs at 10 o'clock at night after check ins or whatever it is. It's like when you're not in a calm state, then you don't see the glimpses of joy in all that shit. And I think you miss out on a lot because of that. Like when you boys, how, what's the, di- how good's the difference in a drive when you're going to a destination when you're rushed compared to when you're just cruising? Like it's just yeah. it's such, such a, such a better drive because yeah. there's no rush, no nothing. Just before we wrap on, I just want to get your opinion. What do you think the future of commercial real estate looks like? You're asking me to give give away my secrets here. Um, <laughs> not, not obviously not with yeah, but what do you think it looks like? Because we've been told, like I've done a bachelor's in in property, and the way that they're sort of describing the future of real estate in terms of commercial and residential, it's, it's fucking interesting. I just wanted to see what your thoughts are not on it would be. I mean, this in the immediate five to 10 years, I think it's just a refinement of what we have. It's got to be more functional because affordability continues to be a challenge in property. And that's always going to be yeah. the case for as long as construction costs keep going up in ca- unless there's some big technological advance, which isn't in the immediate future. Nope. Construction <laughs> costs are going to keep going up. You know, land is going to keep going up. So affordability becomes something that we need to consider. So functionality, being able to, whether it's store as many boxes, produce as many goods, whatever it is that you're doing in the commercial space, you need to be able to do more of that in a small space for affordability. So I think things continue to be um, refined and that's where we're going further into the common amenity because it's you know say we've got a business park of 147 businesses if there's 40 businesses in there that have the odd podcast or say there's 10 businesses in there that have the odd podcast for them to each set up a podcast studio like this within their space is so inefficient when we can have one communal space then it's the same with boardrooms you know recently now we're telling our occupants like rather than have 15 20 square meters of their office partitioned off to use for two or three hours a week of you know big boardroom meetings we have a communal boardroom that they can reserve it's cleaned by the oc so it's always spotless you can book it ahead of time so nobody's going to be in it and then you get that space back within your um, building so it's just about creating those efficiencies um, in ways that haven't been done before. I think that's what the the future, the immediate future of property looks like. Interesting. Ah, cool. What are your thoughts? Oh, my thoughts. So I've, um, have you seen what they're doing in Dubai, what their plans are for Dubai yeah, with that, that wall? That's fucked. Yeah. What I've been told and what I can get a gauge of what's going to happen, probably not in the immediate future in the sense of like five to 10 years, but maybe like 20 years, 15, 20 years they're going to essentially put everything into one. So we're going to have buildings with residential office, gyms, pools, restaurants, all in one. And what we're, what, what I'm seeing too, from a residential standpoint is we, we're first going to move into more subsidies. So Box Hill is going to get larger. Geelong's going to get larger. The CBD will be the CBD always, but we're going to see cities sporadically around Victoria start to get built with buildings and everything, like I'm sort of saying now, to accommodate, obviously, for a, a population growth too. So, so are you saying, does that mean, like, for example, Box Hill <laughs> and, like, all these other areas will look more like CBDs, like more high-rises? Yeah, so what, yeah, so what you're going to see is Box Hill is going to have an influx of high-rises. That's what they're saying. And just for as an example... Uh, Geelong too. We're mm. just going to see all these subsidies start to start to pop up with buildings and and high rises and everything to accommodate 
for like a community. So it's almost going to be like you will not need to leave Box mm. Hill to go to the CBD because you'll have amenities within Box Hill. Yeah. And then there's also going to the, – that that's the shift that I'm seeing. At the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that comes in the immediate future of like the decentralization of the CBD. Yeah. Where it used to be like – if I'm a developer and you're an engineer and you're an architect, we all have our office within the CBD. So when we need to have a meeting, we say, hey, Mr. Architect, can we go meet in the engineer's office, you know, on Friday and have a quick conversation? Yep, we'll do that. Now with technology like Zoom and and not even to the technology, just off the back of COVID, the acceptance of that technology, we don't need to do that anymore. I can be wherever the fuck I want to be, you can be in Spain and you, can be, you know, provided we're all happy to link up on a time zone, we jump on a zoom and have the same conversation. So the decentralization of the CBD, which is why we're also moving into suburban offices. And then it becomes like everybody, they still you still need your office unless you want to work from home. Um, so if you don't want to work from home, you need an office, you're not going to go to the CBD. Let's put those offices closer to your home. So you 100%. spend less time traveling. Yeah, And it's all going to intertwine with the fact of like the environment. So absolutely. It's better on infrastructure. Why, why the fuck at, you know, eight 30 in the morning, would we all drive to the same place exactly. in gridlock traffic and then five o'clock oh, all drive out, dispersed. you know? Like, so we're all at the same cafes lining up. We're all putting pressure on the same sewerage and storm. Yeah. It's just, it, it, it needs to happen. My and I think it's all just went so high. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Everyone's just got uncomfortable. What the fuck? <laughs> so the invite, another aspect into the, into like the future of it is the environmental impact of how things are built will play a massive part too. So, I think buildings will become much more sustainable on their own in terms of the use of energy and recycling and all of that too. There's, I'll show you after the podcast, a mad office building in, in the Netherlands where it just literally, it's self-sufficient. So yeah. it's got, it's got like solar panels on one whole side of the, of the building from when the sun and it just, uses all of that energy within side too. It's like got computers within the, it's, it's just fucked. Like, yeah. And I mean, that's like, that's coming that pretty quickly. Coming like quickly, yeah. um, there was a big change to the planning scheme in July, like for councils to have more rain over impact on environmental sustainable design. So the ESD regulations have changed. They're being more pushy. It's happening. It's happening quick. Um, it's just about, it's a hard thing to do because like, for instance, we just had council. They're like, we want to, you're designing a project. We want to forward think 20 years, electrical vehicles. We want the infrastructure to have all these electrical car, vehicle charges. Car char charging and we're like, we're putting EV charges in now, but how many do we need in 20 years? We don't know. Like EV electric vehicles, like that's the way that it looks like it's going. But you know, who knows? It could be, you know, any, it could be solar vehicles. It could, could be, be anything hydrogen. Like we don't fucking know. And then it's like, all right, what do these charges need to look like? Like, yeah. are they going to be wireless? Can there be group charges? Can you park three cars and they all feed off that? Like we don't know yet. So you're trying to forward plan for something in 20 years that we don't have the understanding of. It is challenging, but of course it is, I yeah. think now that like the intention is, is heading in the right direction, there'll be a bit more free flow of ideas and, and some outcome. Yeah. Sure, it's, it's exciting times in the future. Mm. Yeah. Fuck. Do you have anything else? No, nah, I'm just taking all, all that in. You guys, I was like, whoa, okay. Got some great ideas. We'll probably have a chat after. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, I think we could wrap up there. That was amazing. I I got so much out of that. I learned a few things. Me too. my brain ticking. Um, really, really good to see perspective. And also just on, on a personal level, how like grounded you are again. A lot of people, it's been coming up a lot in social media. We're like, you know, people, people think, you know, money changes people and fame and having a big network. And it's like, I was an asshole before the money. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you're nice. Now you're nice. Now you're nice. Oh, I like but that. Other than that, man, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for incriminating yourself on here. <laughs> we appreciate that lots. Um, if you guys aren't already, follow Oscar on Instagram. Um, does Ledland have an Instagram? No, no. How cool is that? Anyways. <laughs> Doing so well, no social media. Anyways, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for the chat and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks, Oscar. Thank you, boys. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.